0: They called the group the Siberian Seven. It was the brainchild of retired rancher Kim Osborne and his wife, Lenore, looking to sort of step up their motorcycle adventures by heading into countries that they couldn't speak the language in or even read the signs. The Siberian Seven shipped their bikes from Melbourne, Australia, to Vladivostok to kick off a six-month adventure that was filled with making friends, seeing incredible vistas... Mishaps, broken bones, and even tragedy. Coming up on today's episode, my name is Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us, we got a good one for you. I'm Sam Manicus. Simon Austin Vince. Simon Phil. Jocelyn Snow.
1: Charlie Bowman. Carl Parker. Simon Thomas.
0: Lisa Grant
1: Johnson. Jimmy Lewis. How's
0: this Liz Jansen, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. Before we get started, I want to thank these fine companies that helped get this episode out today. It's wind pressure that powers the Motobreeze chain oiler. No electrical or vacuum connections. It delivers the oil to a felt pad on your swing arm. No nozzles near your sprockets. One ounce of oil gets 1,000 miles or 1,600 kilometers. Get more miles from your chain and sprockets. Motobreeze.com Best Rest Product is the maker of the Cycle Pump, the best tire inflator for motorcyclists. It'll inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA, comes with a lifetime warranty. They also distribute Tech filters. Cyclepump.com and Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American made heavy duty luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. You can turn any dry bag into luggage using their strapping system. And of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse that adventure riding gives it. Tough, reliable gear. GreenChiliADV.com. <laughs>
2: My name is Lenore Osborne and I'm from South Australia and I'm retired but ex-farmers and other ventures in life as well prior to that.
1: Um, my name is Kim Osborne. Um, we're living on a coastal farm south of Adelaide, the capital of South Australia. The last uh, 15 years or so we've been cattle farmers on the coastal property. Uh, prior to that, uh, we, uh, I had an advertising agency in um, North Queensland and in Cairns, uh, in Cairns and in Papua New Guinea as well.
0: Kim and Lenore, welcome to Adventure Rider Radio.
1: Thank you. you. Good to be here, Jim.
0: Wow, you, you really threw me for a loop there. Okay, so we're talking farming, we're talking cattle, but we're talking advertising agency. That That is quite a spread of expertise.
1: <laughs> I thought you might pick up on that, uh, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think it's all about the adventure, isn't it? Um, there's no point in being in one career all your life, so we've had a few. Um And uh, one of the things about um, being involved in the advertising industry, you look for something simple and everybody um, in the industry says, okay, once I finish working in this field, I want to be a shepherd and live up in the mountains away from all people and all problems. So I guess it kind of has come true. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but an advertising wow. agent, uh, advertising agency, that, that's a certain breed of person I always picture. I mean, you know, many years ago we had a publishing company. We used to deal with advertising agencies. I found them very difficult. Uh, <laughs> they're, they're, they're very high <laughs> energy <laughs> and demanding, in that's- particular if they've got big clients. And it just seems so juxtaposed from farming.
1: Yeah, I think so, and also the, um, as I said, the advertising agency grew out of a, um, a graphic design business that I had in Cairns, and that was my passion really designing for printed matter. And um, one thing led to another, and the bigger clients came from Papua New Guinea, and um, I started with uh, picking up uh, clients like um, uh, a Tiger Beer Company and an airline, and they demanded more than just graphic design, so it sort of grew. But but going back to Lenore's point. Um, uh, Papua New Guinea is an adventure's paradise and I'd lived there before up in the highlands and I always sort of got involved in the tourism sector doing some whitewater rafting and such things like that. So I was drawn to that adventure side so um, I guess the advertising side was, was just the, an extension of that. It was quite adventurous to go up to Papua New Guinea and we had a business up there for a while um, but it, um, the advantage of farming is that um, if you don't like uh, the animals, you can eat them.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: uh, and do you threaten them with that? Never mind. I'm not going to go there. So, Lenore, you were you were born on this farm.
2: Yes, that's right. So, we've actually both have rural background to start with. So, that's probably where we've gone back to our roots in a way. Yeah.
0: Did you escape the, the farm as well and go to the city and do something?
2: Yes. I... Um, Went nursing and done a bit of travel overseas over the years and uh, then met Kim and joined in with more adventures with him.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And where do motorcycles come into your lives?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, They didn't for a long time, Jim. um, I realized the freedom of motorbikes when I was a young boy um, you know, in the early teens. And my first real motorcycle – well, I don't know real, but my first real motorcycle was a Zundapp, which is a German brand. But unfortunately, it had a – its logo was a daisy. So that sort of deflated <laughs> a young man's ego. Um, and then I bought a, a bike and did teacher's college. I was a teacher once too. And um, then I sort of moved away from it except in fantasy until – basically towards um, the end of our careers in when we got back into farming when I could start to have bikes on the farm. And that led to getting more into adventure riding and riding further distances and things. So, you know, then I gravitated towards bigger bikes and getting further away from the farm as an escape.
0: Hmm. Now, now, are you both riders?
2: I do have my license, but I haven't really ridden since I was – um, about 20. Um, so I choose not to. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't think I'd keep up with Kim.
0: <laughs> yeah. So you're, you're riding two up on your adventures at this point?
1: Yes. It works out that way.
0: So, what is the Siberian Seven and who is it?
1: Um, In one of my um, quests to learn more about um, adventure riding, I I went across to one of these BMW courses in the neighbouring state, and I questioned them why they um, didn't have a course in South Australia, and they said we didn't have a location. And I solved that problem, so they brought their team. um, It worked out for three years in a row back to South Australia, and they ran their adventure riding schools on our farm. And on one of those occasions, I think it was the second one, uh, you get talking as you do, and. A couple of us there uh, came up with the brainchild of let's go for a ride and I suggested let's go from Vladivostok to Europe and it sort of grew out of that. Um, so there was initially the two of us, one local guy in Adelaide and um, I knew a another couple had just sold their business um, and they are only about an hour away from here and so the idea was born and it started to gather a bit of momentum and... Um, uh, I put it on Facebook, I think, or one of those forums and a guy out of Melbourne joined us and then a, another person joined us and we sort of quipped the name Siberian 7.
0: So was this your first adventure that, that you didn't like this?
1: Um, Lenore and I had been to, we did a ride in the States with a hire bike out of Colorado um, and we also have hired a bike a couple of times in Switzerland and done tours ourselves with that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. and around australia and around australia
0: so this this one here this Siberian trip that's a different sort of trip than what you've done up until now then
1: that's right <laughs> yeah it was a little bit more adventurous but um i, I guess part of the motivation was that uh, we'd sort of we're, we're finishing the business off we'd we'd been running cattle for so long and um we, it, it's a business that you get tied to you know with um livestock and such things. So I was looking for a complete break from that. But um, I was fascinated, or we were both fascinated with the idea of these cultures, the Russian, the, the Mongolian and the Stans, which we know very little about. So the adventures sort of opened up to trying to understand or, or at least come in contact with some of these people.
0: Now, Lenore, now have you done traveling before? Have you went off and explored the world somewhat on your own?
2: I have. I've spent, um, in my younger years, I spent quite a bit of time in um, Latin America, traveling around there. Um, I do enjoy having an adventure. So i would actually been also looking at, prior to this, looking at Mongolia and and horse riding there. So um, I'm I'm keen for an adventure as well. Horse riding in
0: Mongolia?
2: Yes. It's a lovely place to ride horses. I
0: I can imagine it's (laughs) it's lovely, but you know, it's funny because it it seems to me Mongolia is coming up more and more and more now as far as a tourist destination. And I know their tourism, at least before COVID was on the rise, but um, I hadn't heard about the the horse part of it. So can you talk about that?
2: Well, it's, the horses are very much part of the tradition in, in life in Mongolia. So, um, out of Ulaanbaatar, everybody has horses and sheep and goats and yaks and they move around. Um, And so they have competition, horse racing. Um, It's all within Mongolia, but um, it's a very strong part of the culture. And I like the um, wide open spaces that I thought I'd see in Mongolia, so I sort of had that pegged as a trip in my bucket list.
0: And they're, they, what they do is they, they'll actually take you on a on a trip. Is that how it works?
2: Yes, yes. There's various ways of doing it, but that's probably the easiest and safest way is to be, because you don't know where you're going, um, is to have a guide. I had a guide and a wrangler who looks after the horses. And where I could, we had a, a vehicle that would follow us, and if he couldn't, then we'd take a pack horse and camp um, or carry all the gear for a few nights and just headed off yeah
0: so is that you and just the guide and, and and the backup crew or is are there other people on that
2: on mine there wasn't it was just the um four of us yeah i didn't have time to join in with any other groups so i just grabbed the opportunity when we
1: were in mongolia to do that yeah. Jim, we arrived in Ulan Bator, and the next day she's at a travel agent, and she's gone the day after.
0: <laughs> I go. <"What?" laughs> well, we'll, hang on, we'll, we'll get to that. We'll, we'll get to that. First of all, we we haven't left Australia yet. So, so you get these, these no. groups, you, you get a group of seven together, and you're going to transport your bikes um, from Australia to Vladivostok to leave when?
1: Um, we left uh, on the fifth of May, I believe, which was um, uh, in 2018. Mm-hmm. Um, we shipped the bikes from, from South Australia, um, the three, one, two, three, three bikes, four bikes across to Melbourne. Um, one of the guys, uh, Brett took the, the, uh, the Euthen trailer over there and, and uh, dropped them off at a container yard and they shipped them from Melbourne, um, via Korea to Vladivostok to arrive on the 5th of May. Um, I'd met uh, David out of Melbourne uh, once when I went to Melbourne. Um, The other riders, Brett and Eve on a local, and Tony is from from Adelaide. He was the one that him and I conceived the idea. And then a ring in um, Amy from Newcastle, I think. Um, uh, So we all flew over roughly at the same time and arrived in Vladivostok on the weekend of of, uh, Victory Day, the big military celebration that they have there.
0: You were, so it's just you two as a couple, just you and Lenore.
2: We all met up in the airport actually and ended up meeting up, traveling um, on the plane, most of us anyway.
0: But are, are there other couples or is, are, or is it all individuals?
1: Uh, Brett and Yvonne is the other couple. Um, and they had two bikes between them. They had so two she bikes. was riding as well. Yeah. yeah.
0: Does everything go okay with shipping? I mean, that's no big deal. You just show up and your bikes are ready to go?
1: Um, yeah, pretty much. The, um, the agent in Vladivostok is very familiar with the, with the process. Um, we just arrived on Victory Day, so there was a delay of about seven days. Um, but he collects you, takes you to the customs office, and you pay the fees and such things, and then takes you to the container yard, and off you go. Um, so the process took about a week because of the Victory Day and a lot of paperwork, but yeah, it's pretty straightforward.
0: And and what's the general plan here at this point? Are you all planning to stick together, sort of to almost ride single file and head through your route, or is it more loosely organized?
1: Um, one of the, the Siberian 7, Amy, her agenda was, um, she had the job as a ride marshal for BMW, who, who had their um, bi-yearly... Um, the GS Trophy. Uh, trophy. She is trophy in Mongolia, so she headed off straight away. She put a, her bike on the on the train and headed off. Um, the rest of us planned to ride kind of loosely together, but that fell apart on day one, so that all changed.
0: <laughs> so <laughs> what, happened, what happened on day one?
1: On day one, you know, we're all chatted and we're all going to take it easy and we're really aware of the... Russian drivers and their roads and stuff. And on day one, about three hours out of uh, Vladivostok, um, Brett was leaving, leading and um, uh, Yvonne was behind him. And then I was following Yvonne and she went out past the truck and hit some uh, rough bitumen and uh, got the speed wobbles. And after four big speed wobbles, she ended up in a ditch. Mm. And um, uh, her bike was stuck up in a tree. Um, we all stopped. Lenore jumped off. I couldn't park the bike because it's so heavily laden, so I sort of had to tour around the place until I could find a spot to put the bike down. Um, an ambulance turned up and realised that she wasn't that serious, so she had they headed off. Um, a couple of us went ahead to the nearest town and booked accommodation and rang up the freight forwarder back in Vladivostok for him to give us some hand, give us a hand. And her ride finished.
0: Was done right there. A while. Now, is, yeah, is it finished? For, because the the bike is ruined, or is she hurt?
1: Um, she had some injuries, but uh, not that serious. The bike, uh, Brett could ride to the near town, but they decided to go back to Vladivostok. And um, uh, we thought they were they were the trip was done, but they ended up catching up with us a little bit later. So they got the bike fixed, and she got X rays and things, and she was okay. Mm. very courageous
0: yeah yeah that's gonna throw you off completely day one out i mean where all the possibilities are there all the fears are there and to have that happen that it would be easy to pack up and go home at that point yes
1: that's why we we unloaded a lot of gear and gave them a couple of uh, large bags to take back because we were carrying far too much gear i mean you get a bit caught up in the pre-planning of everything, and we were having great fun in the pre-planning stage because of um, we'd get together once a week and would discuss what we'd found on Google and what podcasts we've seen, and that was really good motivation, but you end up with a lot of gear. So this was a bit of a realisation that we don't need that much stuff, so we unloaded pretty much all our camping gear and a lot of other things and sent it off for them um, uh, back to Vladivostok. Yvonne
2: um, ended up going back to Vladivostok and she recovered, but I think there was so much energy and it went into the um, preparation of travelling and the mindset was to do this adventure that with her determination she just got back on the bike and 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 went, which was really nice,
1: went on the trip. Yeah, she had some recurring shoulder issues right throughout the trip and they, they would stop. Um, in some nicer hotels and just rest for a couple of weeks um, and take a more direct route than what we would. So throughout the journey, which was the six months journey, we caught up with them on a number of times, but sort of spasmodically. Um, but interesting enough, Jim, you know, we said, okay, well, let's go and find a, a, a part of this planning. We'll find a a bus for Evon and Brett to go catch to go back to Vladivostok, and we stopped a young lady on the in the street because I thought she'd speak English and she walks with us for two kilometers to the bus stop and this is the sort of hospitality that we uh, we came across in Russia. Wow. they don't just point in the direction of um, to, to give you a hand with something they actually take you there so she took us two kilometers walked us to the bus stop and said, uh, can I go now <laughs> and so we thought we thought this was very polite. And then we're this is David and I are walking back to the hotel and then a car stops with a young woman in it and she goes, Would you like to come to a party? And we thought, Well, this is the life. <laughs> <laughs> so straight away we've been invited to a party. And this is day one in the first village that we didn't expect to be in. So And we poor said in the
2: Yvonne is back in the yeah, hotel.
1: <laughs> Yvonne and Lenora are back in the recover. hotel trying to recover. And you, and you guys we went said, to the party? Oh, Well, I said, we're Australian and we need to take beer to a party. So she took us to this (laughs) shop that has, this is quite common in Russia, they have a small shop that's got maybe 20 or 30 beer taps and you point to which type of beer you would like and they fill it up with a PET bottle like a Coke bottle of a variety of sizes. So Dave and I did that and pointed to lots of beer and got quite a lot and we felt a bit guilty, so we said, we'd better go and get Lenore. <laughs> so we, we go back and get Lenore, and the three of us head off to this party, and um, we went to this young lady's house and spent four or five or six hours with them. At the party, the whole
2: family was there, her mother, her kids, um, other fellows,
1: yeah, the guys were in the shed playing with a motorbike and yeah, stuff. So it wasn't like it wasn't like a big social gathering. It was like come to my house and have a look around my house and share some time with us.
0: Yeah, it sounds spectacular. But usually, you know, I mean, I mean, I'd say usually, if anyone pulled up to most people in a city or in a car and said, "Hey, do you want to come to a party?" I think they would set off some bells and whistles.
1: Well, this is day one. We're pretty green. <laughs> we're, we're out
0: for an adventure.
1: <laughs> no,
2: the lady was very nice.
0: and did it cross your mind that this might be a problem this this could be i mean it's weird
2: no it didn't didn't seem like that at all it was really genuine and um they were bikers actually so it was sort of a russian thing where you uh russian bikers look after russian uh, travelers from overseas so that was part of the thing uh, i think they do it fairly often
1: for travelers yeah
0: so so the plan the plan was here for six months
1: uh, yep pretty much. so we could ride from the beginning of May, which was basically the, the riding season, and arrive at towards the end of summer.
0: Mm. And, and what are you doing? Are you staying in hotels? Are you camping or mixing?
1: Um, the idea was to mix, but once uh, Yvonne had had the accident, we realized we couldn't carry that much gear on a the bike. Um, there, there's hotels everywhere. Um, some of them are less than one star but it's a bed. Um, so we sort of just just found hotels everywhere. Lenore camped when she went on the horse riding trip, but um, I stayed in a tent once only when I caught up with her after the trip, but the rest of the time were were hotels. You can um, always find accommodation, really. The The internet is not very good, or well, the Wi-Fi is not very good in these countries. Um, but the sign of putting your hands to your head and make out you're sleeping. Somebody would take you somewhere and find you a bed.
0: And how did you find the, um, the whole language barrier at at the start?
1: I wouldn't say at the start, Jim. (laughs) The The whole way Uh, through. It's, it's, you can't even read the, the alphabet. It's very, very very difficult. Yeah, They speak Russian through all these countries, but, um, So a lot of sign language, a lot of gestures, um, and you realize that um, you don't need a language to have a good time with these people. You can laugh and and, uh, enjoy their company and they can enjoy yours by just gestures really and the occasional word. um. There's a lot of other cues on body language
2: and, and the look in the eye and really you forget. That you can't read the signs, it just <laughs> uh, around the towns and yeah, people are very good.
0: Well, oh, how about when it gets is it something more technical like ordering a meal? <laughs>
1: <laughs> There's not a lot of choices yeah. in some places. Borscht and Kreb. Yeah, cabbage soup cabbage soup and bread every day. <laughs> you know, you could go to we we ate a lot in truck stops, of course, as you're travelling through the Siberian highway. And some, some shops had, um, you know, these uh, pictures outside, you know, pictures of bacon and eggs and that sort of thing, as you, as you see in most cafes. And you try to explain what you want and then you beckon them and say, come outside, and you point to the picture and they go, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, you, so you point to what people are eating next door, you know, the table next door, you think, oh, that looks good, and you point to that and they bring something completely different. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the good thing about the sign outside is you knew it was a restaurant in there or a cafe <laughs> that had food, so that was the purpose of the sign. <laughs> yeah.
0: So the sign they used to tell you it's a cafe has nothing to do with the food they're actually serving?
1: No, no, not at all. <laughs> and even that, thats it's so basic, Jim. There's one town that we're riding through, hanging out for coffee. This is David. Um, Tony and the two of us and we pull up, we think this looks like a nice shopping centre, we pull up, Lenore goes in, this was quite often Lenore's job jump off the bike, she goes in and she comes back and says it's an ice skating rink (laughs) (laughs) that's how close we were to finding coffee shops so we We went into the ice skating rink and they gave us coffee anyway (laughs) it's just so difficult to find anything
0: So Uh, what was the next major thing that happened after Yvonne?
1: The next day we arrived in Khabarovsk which is a major not major it's a fairly large inland um city on a on a river and we met up um they have what they call the opening ride day they just had one in Vladivostok which we weren't aware of but this is the first ride of the season
0: so motorcycle ride
1: that's correct mm-hmm. and there was about I guess they're about a thousand bikes. Um, So they all met in the square and we went along to that and they're dressed in weird and uh, interesting costumes like um, huge woolly, woolen uh, fur coats and funny hats and other regalia and we rode with them. All different bikes. All different bikes. bikes. We rode with them and then um, we went back to the hotel and, Outside in the car park, a guy comes up and says, would you like to come to the Iron Tigers party tonight? Sure. So he invited us to one of the bike group's parties. So we went along and um, uh, as their guest and um, uh, had a meal, a really nice restaurant meal in, this, um, uh, in, in their clubhouse. And then after the vodka started flying, a lot more people speak a little bit of English. So that was a quite a great night. So we had a great night with the Iron Tigers in Vladivostok. in um, And what are the Iron Tigers? Um, I guess it's like any um, – Club, club. I guess, you know, like the Banditos or the, I don't know what clubs you have over there. Well, I, I don't know if people the, are going
0: to call those clubs. I mean, usually they're referred to as gangs. I mean, that's why uh, there's a club and a gang, I ah. think. I know there's a lot of blur no. in there for the lines, but.
1: Well, we didn't More know. <laughs> <laughs> mm, we thought they could have been gangs, but they were nice people. <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, and you don't know the depth of it. So uh, we just went along and enjoyed it, I guess. We met one guy who was supposed to be the, the president of the charter and he gave his phone number and we we follow him a little bit and rang rang him a couple of times. Um, but, yeah, they were certainly friendly and they were a really nice group. Um, the clubhouse was um, a retired, I think, a geologist. who built these uh, purposely built motel units and restaurant and uh, workshop. So... Um, yeah, it was really nice setup and really nice people.
0: Hmm. And it seems like motorcycling is is very popular there. Then,
1: um, in all the countries we went through, there was some of the big bikes were in Russia, but um, not many. There was a lot of bikes in Mongolia, but they were the little one, two, five Chinese. And hmm. the only other bikes we saw was was in Turkey. So really, it was just. Um, the ones in Russia initially, and then there's popular. Yeah, but you don't see many. You could spend days and days on the road, and you wouldn't see another motorbike.
0: Oh, is that right? Oh, okay. So yeah, very yeah, few is. then. Huh? And and um, you end up losing a pannier at one point.
1: Yeah. That, so we travelled through Siberia. There's only really one major highway from east to west, um, the Siberian Highway, and there's quite a lot of roadworks. The roads come along a long way, you know, as in um, a lot of repairs, and it's quite good, but there's some road works along the way, and I was riding along, and I must have hit one of these um, areas, and a few minutes later, it all goes, oh, your pannier's missing, which was caused me a lot of dis- distress. It was in a place called Magotcha. Magotcha's in the middle of nowhere, and... Um, uh, we went ahead and we, we we went back and forth looking for it. Tony rode with me that day. I think I did about 400 kilometers or so looking for this pannier, but I couldn't find it. And then I arrived back at the service station and Lenore's befriended a couple of Russian blokes. And um, <laughs> you want to take it from there, Lenore? Okay. <laughs> and I've been sort of very stressed in my head trying to go back and forth to try and locate this pannier, which – the 10 cars on the road that day, someone would have seen it and it would have been treasure for them. So I arrived there and um, uh, Lenore says, I'm heading off with these guys. No, they'd offered to help us. They'd offered to help. You go and on. And to find, take
2: us to accommodation um, in the next town because you know, I told them all about where Kim had gone off and the problems and,
1: and so... So Lenore headed off with these strangers that I'd only met for less than 30 seconds and I'm not quite ready to get back on my bike because i just pulled up. So she takes off in this land cruise and disappears down this highway with these guys. Uh, (laughs) The the bike's rushing like anything to keep up. (laughs) So I chase after her and they turn off the highway a little bit down the road and they go down this little little tiny track with
0: branches all over it. Hang on a second. You, you chase after because what do you think is going on? Well, I don't know. <laughs> We're too sure. so, so when Lenora gets in the vehicle and, and the door closes, you're sort of caught off guard?
1: Yeah, I didn't know what was going on because in my head I'm chasing this pannier down and I don't know these people. And she said, oh, they're going to take us. To the next town, and she jumps in the car and heads off.
2: <laughs> <laughs> he did say we well, ended up going up this track to a church site, and then I realised that with all the difficulty of English, he said we well, have a look at a few surprises along the way. I didn't know what that meant, but that was one of them. So he was sort of... He giving you us some sightseeing a... at
0: the same time. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, so <laughs> Kim, go go back to what you were saying there. So, so you're booting after this vehicle that has Lenore inside that you're not really sure what's going on, and they turn off the highway.
1: And they went down this track that single single file, or single lane with branches all over it. And I thought, this is <laughs> this is not looking very good <laughs> anyway they they nothing i mean they, we just looked at this site and i um, haven't got it's not very clear in my head what's going on here because it's full of this <laughs> loss that i've suffered because the pannier's got all my tools my medicine my clothes you know all these things that have taken 6 months or more to put together and i'm distraught. But they head off back down the highway and we couldn't keep up because they're going so fast in their land cruiser. I was telling you to slow down. <laughs> <laughs> and um, we ended up getting to this village and um, they showed us a, a war monument, which, again, I wasn't very interested in. And um, I indicated that we should go to the police and um, uh, Valerie, this uh, driver, or one of the guys who spoke very, very little English, said, are you sure? I said, well, we have to do this for insurance purposes. So he settled us into a hotel and took us to the police station. And there we spent um, four hours with the police. <laughs> 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 and um, it was quite good. It was, quite, it, was, it, was, it was a lot of fun because we had three um, uh, different interviews with three different policemen. They um, seconded an English teacher to try and do some translation. Um, very kind. All all the statements we made, they had to write out in longhand and then they had to copy them in triplicate in longhand. But meanwhile, um, Valerie and his cohorts would be out in the car waiting and they'd come in and say, Russian whiskey, Russian whiskey, and off I'd go back to the Land Cruiser and have a a nip of vodka and then go back in again. (laughs) (laughs) So we were having a lot of laughter and a lot of fun. There was no intimidation. Um, and while this was going on, we thought, oh, David and and Tony, the other two that we're riding, with, uh, sleeping or having a good time back in the hotel. But the police found out that we weren't travelling alone and had gone to their hotel and taken them away to an interrogation room somewhere else. What, what, yeah, what was so that
3: for? They're being,
1: they're being interrogated too because, well, they're, they're foreigners. And so they, they found out that we had a, um, a business visa, but we we're actually tourists. We got a business visa out of Melbourne because it allowed us to go into Russia three times. But obviously mm. it wouldn't have caused a problem if we didn't have this um, uh, visit to the police station. Right. So we were, we were fined, I think, $40 for having the wrong type of visa um, and Tony and and um, David were fine, much the same. But they were in, they were um, quite nervous and uh, a little bit concerned to start with. But eventually, they went out to dinner with these policemen. So it all worked out well for them, anyway.
0: <laughs> wow, that's incredible! So you go in to to you know report your your lost pannier and you end up getting a ticket for it <laughs> you end up getting a ticket because <laughs> yeah. well i mean because you were doing yeah. something wrong really i guess is really what it comes down to but they let you continue on in that visa though yes they did
1: and and it, i don't think for one moment that it was a bribe or it wasn't anything illegal it was just they were voting following protocol um and the next day we came out of the hotel and one of the people t- one of the police or the um Administrators saw us and took us to the to the bank, and we had to withdraw the money and all those sort of things. So it was all above board, but it was quite a funny experience. And and then when we went to pay the the money, I went into this you know down this corridor, and you think you know it's the Iron Curtain and and you know the depths of Russia, and around this corner and these Spartan offices, and this this young lady at the her desk, and in the corners of one of these. Um, Russian police hats, and I put the hat on, and I have a photograph with all of them, and you know, arm around <laughs> them. So we're all best buddies, you know. So, <laughs> um, so that all finished, and the next day, um, uh, this guy that uh, Lenore became friends with met us on the town, on the city limits of a place called Chita. Um, And he took us to his family, he took us into a hotel and then took us to his family home and the family put on a huge, huge banquet for us and showed us their house. And David and I had a sauna with them, which is a very common thing over there. And um, they were so hospitable. They were such lovely people. Wow. Yeah, it was a very special experience. So, yeah, it ended up to be really special, didn't it? Mm -hmm.
0: Did you get your pannier back?
1: (laughs) No. No. uh, not at all. Um, so there's a bit of a shortfall there and it took a long time before I could find a replacement pannier. And I ended up getting one in Almaty, um, in Kazakhstan through the BMW people there. But that's, that was a, a lot of, a lot of work to get that. So why did your
0: pannier come off?
1: It's one of those BMW aluminium panniers. I have a The bike we used was an 800 GS for 2014. So there are aluminium panniers which are padlocked, not padlocked, um, locked to the bike. So I think once we hit one of these um, uh, speed bumps or roadworks, perhaps the metal flexed Mm -hmm. and the weight in the pannier maybe twisted the the latch and it just disappeared.
0: This is one of those cam lock ones where you turn it it and it locks on.
1: Yeah, and you can't. You can't not have it locked because you can't take the key out unless the cam's locked.
0: Right. But but the thing is, if it falls off, I mean it's kind of useless, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, in the big scheme of things, because that, that caused you a lot of grief.
1: It caused me a lot of grief, but it wasn't useless because there's a lot of treasures in there. Well, it so, wasn't useless it,
0: to the person that found it. <laughs> but I mean no, as far as for you for for, you know, an adventure, I mean. Yeah. That's pretty disappointing
1: like i said it caused a lot of grief but the you do come to realize jim that nothing's irreplaceable we could go to <clears throat> we could go to a chemist and explain what um, medicines um i needed uh, just by their name they'd work it out and you'd just buy them over the counter so that kind of worked out um, loss of shoes loss of loss of clothes well you can buy anything anywhere so mm. it just takes a little bit more time
0: now I, um, I guess the only thing with that is, is if the pannier was overloaded, that might be a different story because it's twisting and flexing in ways it's not meant to.
1: Well, I had things like my tire levers and my pump and my spanners and all those sort of things in it. So yeah, look, I guess that that could have been the reason that it it twisted. Hmm. Um, we were carrying a fair bit of weight. The further we travelled, the more we sent home. Um, but. Uh, Lenore managed to work out how to pack her pannier to the f- to the fullest.
0: <laughs> what you're doing in the meanwhile, before you found that other pannier, is you're packing everything in, in the one.
1: Um, I had a, a small um, roll top bag, uh, in Juristan, which I think is a European brand. It's just like a um, uh, TyroTech bag sort of thing, a small one. I strapped that onto the side, and I carried rain gear and. Um, shoes and that sort of stuff in that pannier. And then we have the top box and Lenore's pannier.
0: And I guess in the pannier there was no identification. It's not like you didn't put your name in the lid or anything like that.
1: Uh, I don't think it would have made any difference. It wouldn't have made any difference. I think we had some we had some stickers made up, um, and I think they are in the pannier with a phone number and all those sort of things, but – wouldn't mm. have made any difference.
0: No, I wouldn't th- wouldn't think so. I just sort of let somebody know where they actually came from. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe you'll get some weird <laughs> post or weird email <laughs> saying, I've got your pannier. Thank you very much. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, your shoes are great. <laughs> yeah, that's right.
0: <laughs> so uh, you yeah, found nothing so, but hospitable people everywhere you went.
1: Oh, no. Everybody's really wonderful. They are. They, it doesn't matter what language you just was so... Welcome by by everybody everybody's trying to to um bef- you know say hello you pull up somewhere and then you're sort of not mobbed but people stop and say hello
0: what was it like getting into Mongolia
2: uh, <laughs> that was our first border crossing actually um in hindsight it went fairly smoothly but it did take a a while and you don't really know what's going on so you really looking for people to guide you on which building, which is the next building and the next building and so forth to to tickle the boxes. But it went fairly smoothly, really.
0: When you're going up to do this, what's your approach? Do you do the um, the thing where you talk to everybody, you know, and, and ask for help or, or how do you handle that?
1: Um you just follow the crowds. <laughs> you just see where people are going or they point you in the direction. It's always like, somewhere like, uh, We did 14 border crossings, I think, or something like that. There was no real stress in any of the border crossings. Some of them were busier than others. I think as we got further west, Uzbekistan were the first tourists we came across. Um, Turkey was a different story and so was um, – uh, Georgia, a lot more people, but in those first border crossings, there could only be you know a couple of dozen people, so it wasn't that stressful. It was just protocol, really. You just have to trying to work it out on which line, and somebody would point to another line, and you'd- which form because you didn't know what the words were on it.
2: <laughs> so, how do you know yeah, what to, to
0: what to fill out on the form? Where where your name goes, etc.
2: Um, you people help you. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So is that just people standing around or is that people who work there?
1: Well people that work there and mm-hmm. yeah, they're pretty patient. Now I've heard some of your your um, interviews with people traveling through South America with what do you call them? Totes, are they? Or those mm-hmm. people that yeah. sometimes we didn't come across any of those in the whole trip. There was nobody there waiting to, to um uh give you a hand for a few dollars. Because the no. borders
0: aren't busy enough.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, and they don't see enough tourists. Tourists, I guess. I mean, that's what you need. You need a lot of people who are coming as tourists to have that sort of operation there, where you have a bunch of people looking to to help the people who don't know.
1: Exactly. Well, we when we rode from Vladivostok, we rode all the way to um, Ula Ulan Ude, which is just above the Mongolian border. We didn't speak English to to one person. Ulan Ude was the first English people people that we came across, and they were on the Trans-Siberian Railway uh, journey. So that's how few English people there are traveling that, that route.
0: We're going to take a quick break. i got a couple of things to talk to you about. But when we come back, we've got plenty more adventure, broken bones, a close brush with tragedy, and a lot more. Stay with us. Last year, we did a segment on motorcycle boots, which I quite enjoyed doing When we were researching for that piece, there was all kinds of information about boots, about motorcycle boots and all different opinions, et cetera, et cetera. Yet socks, socks were never mentioned. Socks are the thin little layer between you, your foot and your boot. And in case you didn't realize that already, that thin layer is kind of important because if you put them on without your socks, well, you're going to know it real quick. But that thin layer of sock, that's all you have going for protection from your foot and insulation with most riding boots so if you want the best cold weather riding sock in the world then you want pearly's possum socks i ride with pearly's possum socks and in fact even in the hot weather i still wear my pearly's possum socks i'm going to tell you why in a second but first i thought i should give you a quick rundown on just why pearly's possum socks are king I've been using merino wool for many years for all kinds of outdoor activities. But Pearly's takes the merino wool one step further, which I didn't even know was possible until I was introduced to Pearly's. They blend possum fur with merino wool into this incredibly warm, supple, durable sock that not only keeps your feet warmed, but it keeps it cushioned as well. Uh, And equally important to, to those two items is that um, they don't stink. If you've ever tried um, many of the synthetics for active wear, the synthetics can really stink. And once they stink, they hold that smell forever. Whereas with Pearly's Possum Socks, I mean, I can tell you from experience, I've worn them lots where they've been in the boot for a long time, I'll just say that. And they come out and they don't stink. That's merino wool has always been like that. I didn't know about Possum Fur before I was introduced to Pearly's. Turns out they both have those qualities. So blend them together. You've just got this amazing blend. And not only that, the sock itself is designed for us, for motorcycle riders, by a motorcycle rider. Now, I mentioned that I wear them in the summer as as well. Um, If you've done much backpacking, you probably recognize the value of a a good heavy sock to keep your your foot from chafing, you know, against the boot. Also, when there's there's a lot of pressure, I mean, if you're pretty active on your bike, you will appreciate that uh, thick, heavy sock that's very soft on your foot without making it feel like it's it's uh, overly hot and I, I, I never get the feeling like my feet are dying from the heat i never get that my pearlies are great in in all but the absolute hottest weather so do yourself a favor get a pair of the best Cold weather socks in the world, Pearly's Possum socks that are designed specifically for motorcycle riding. It's the official sock of Adventure Rider Radio, and I just did that because I am so in love with Pearly's socks. Pearly's Possum Socks.com is a website. Please mention Adventure Rider Radio anytime you're dealing with them. Pearly's Possum Socks.com. Well, I think I could probably easily convince you, <laughs> if you're not already, that uh, the next best thing to doing an adventure yourself, going for a ride yourself, is hearing about somebody else's or reading about somebody else's. And and sort of experiencing their adventure vicariously, you know, particularly in the world we're living in right now when it comes to international travel. And and that's a big part of what we do here at Adventure Rider Radio is, is bring these stories to you. But the other way to do it is a great motorcycle travel book. A motorcycle travel book that allows you to escape for any length of time into a new world, a new adventure, maybe an adventure you wouldn't do, maybe an adventure you would like to do. You can learn from it. You can use it to help plan your own adventure or basically just to escape. It's better than a movie you can just dive into a great book a great motorcycle travel book and that is what road dog publications is all about great motorcycle travel books road dog publications specializes in motorcycle travel books the owner mike fitterling is one of those riders he even has his own books published under that label about his travels from top to bottom road dog is about producing great books for us to read about adventures, and uh, there's always time. Grab the book, throw it in your pannier. The website is roaddogpublications.com. Many authors that uh, are under the Road Dog banner we've had on this show, and we've heard some great stories from these books through Road Dog Publications. So, roaddogpublications.com is the website. Make sure you mention Adventure Rider Radio when you're dealing with them. Roaddogpublications.com. Well, I'm sure you've heard the Rider Skills segments we do here on Adventure Rider Radio. And actually, if you drop by the website, if you look at the top of the page, there's a link there that will take you right to all the Rider Skills segments, all in one spot. Anyway, on Rider Skills, there's plenty of talk about foot pegs. Standing in your foot pegs, weighting your foot pegs, your foot position on your foot pegs. That's because your foot pegs are your main connection between you and your motorcycle, standing or sitting. This is where you apply the weight, you balance, you counterbalance. It all happens on the foot pegs, not with the handlebars. And to get the most out of your bike, you need to have a peg that performs in all conditions, meaning that it sheds mud. It can withstand the abuse of being dropped or slammed against rocks or just the abuse of standing on them, your weight uh, on it hour after hour pounding over rough terrain. They also have to be designed in such a way that they don't negatively affect your control using your brake lever and your shift lever. They also have to be designed to grip your boot without destroying the sole of your boot. No pun intended there, but I guess it could be punny. It's a tall order to pull this off. And just because a a peg looks shiny and and impressive in the picture, that doesn't mean anything about how well they're designed or how well they're made. the, the, The quality of the materials in the foot peg itself. IMS products, however, have been making quality parts for motorcycles since 1976. These are the pegs that I use and I've been using them for years now. They have a complete line of motorcycle foot pegs that should uh, suit just any riding style, really, and particularly adventure motorcycles. IMS Products makes their pegs in the U.S. They're all heat-treated with 17-4 stainless steel, all warranted for life. So, improve your ride. Get a set of IMS foot pegs for your bike. IMSproducts.com is the website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them on Adventure Rider Radio. IMSproducts.com. <laughs> So you get into Ulaanbaatar, and um, Lenore, what is it that gets you off the bike and looking for horseback riding? Is it you're, you're sick of sitting on the bike behind Kim? <laughs> is the adventure too much, or, or is it just that your heart was so set on this this other adventure?
2: I think my heart was set on the adventure from a few years before, and I had this opportunity. So I had to move pretty fast on it, and I had the name of the tourist company that did it. Australia, so we just went to visit, and it all fell into place really quickly. So, (laughs) and they could lend me the gear I didn't have, and the next day I was on an airplane. So it happened all to be quick for me.
0: (laughs) 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 This is another time where Kim is left standing there, scratching his helmet.
1: (laughs) You see, a pattern starting to emerge here, (laughs) Jim.
0: But the thing is, Lador, you could have booked that from Australia, right? I mean, but you didn't do that.
2: No, I didn't. I didn't really know the dates I was going to be in Mongolia. Oh, right. <clears throat> and this, they usually have set times and I was never going to fit into an Australian trip there. And they'd probably have probably eight or ten horses or tourists on the ride and I just had to find out what my options were. And it ended up to be they had a spare guide and a wrangler who could do that for me. And meet me, and I was the only um, tourist on it, so it was pretty special.
0: Yeah, it would be because if you're the only one, you're you're no longer really a tourist, are you? Or not much of one anyway. No. You're certainly not with a group.
1: No, but Lenore like. slept in in uh, teepees and was with, with reindeer people and slept a lot on the ground or tents with other people. Sort of. Yeah.
0: W- what are these people like, Lenore?
1: Uh, they're
2: all country people, so very nice, very, very friendly people. The guide spe- spoke fairly good English, um, and the driver and the wrangler didn't. So I realized after a little while that I was going to be speaking to this one person for two weeks, <laughs> <laughs> um, and not to anyone else, and we got on really well, so... It was good because she's still a good friend of mine on Facebook and you know, we have some we had some really good, honest, interesting conversations about Mongolia and family life. Um, and it was all I didn't know where I was going from one day to the next, so I was just going along through the countryside, having a fantastic relaxing time. Well not relaxing, but um probably about six hours a day riding, six or seven.
0: So, Kim, what are you doing in, in this time while Lenora's riding the horse to the countryside?
1: Um, we went to the desert. That's where blokes go. <laughs> um, so Tony, David, and I headed south, and we went into the Gobi Desert um, uh, down to a place called Dezalengrab, and then we went off from, from there, um, and we stayed one night in a – oh, that's a story. They stayed one night in a yurt camp. Um, where we stayed a lot of nights in yurt camps but that wait, one wait, particular before, time- before you
0: get into the yurt camp tell me more about the, the desert what's it like to ride into the gobi desert cuz i picture when you say that that you're riding into this roadless land that's just wide open space tell me you're not on a highway
1: um, to get down to Zalingrad it was a bitumen, um, a, a tarred highway. Mm,
0: you just but ruined from, the whole image I had right there. I, I just had this gorgeous but, image of the dust and everything. But okay, now what was we, it really like?
1: No, no, we'll get there. We'll get oh, there. Okay. it
0: <laughs>
1: So on either side, on either side, there, um, there is just flat plains, a uh, stony desert, and you'd see the occasional camel. And I, I didn't realise at the time, but if the camels are malnut, uh, they, they um, They are not very well fed or haven't got enough food. Their their humps are all flaccid. They all hang down low. So that's what the camels look like. They're all these, no humps stood up for that. (laughs) And so we got to Desalengrad and then we headed off into the real desert and there was no roads. Um, There could be the occasional track or there could be occasional 12 tracks and you got no idea which one to follow. Um, And you just ride through this stoneless flat, barren area that you just got no idea where you're going <laughs> so how, how
0: do you know where you're going where are you going by compass
1: um occasionally you come across power lines and you kind of follow them um and we were pl- planning to head down to some big sand dunes but we got completely lost on the way down there so we ended up in a little village and they said "Oh, we will just take the first road out of town so you ride to the corner of the town and there's a dozen roads and you've got no idea which one to take because they just head off. There is no rhyme or reason. They just head off and try and find the easiest track. So we did that for the first two days and ended up in this yurt camp and then from that point onwards it just got, it got um, more barren and more sparse as in just rocks and sand and this um, uh, occasional track to follow.
0: What happened at the camp?
1: Um, it was quite Tony, David, and I are in this yurt, and we went across to the to the mess hall to have breakfast, and we go go back to the to the to the yurt or gur as they call them, and they sort of knock on the door, and they said, "Excuse me, um, it wasn't seven tugrid, which is the local currency. It was actually seven US dollars." And I said, oh, okay." So I sort of for for breakfast. So I turned around and didn't want to be seen how much money was in my wallet. So I pulled out the money and paid them and went about my business, and I said to David, I've been robbed. And he said, what do you mean? I said, I don't have my wallet. He said, how could that be? And I said, I don't know. So we spent a half an hour, or an hour looking for my wallet. We went through everything. We couldn't find it. So I knew there was a guy who I spoke to who came to the, the, the tent with the um, the lady from the, the um, uh, uh, restaurant to get the money, and I went and saw this guy called Oscar, and I said, Oscar, excuse me, but I've been robbed. or I can't find my wallet. And so he came back to the, to the ger, and we all looked for the wallet and couldn't find the wallet. And I said, look, I don't know what's happened. And David said, um, can you turn your pockets out? So Oliver turns his pockets out, and he's got nothing in there, and he opens up his wallet, and this is really embarrassing. And then when the manager comes across, and then we ring up the police, which are about an hour and a half or two hours away across the other side of the desert. So he rings them up and they're on their way and we're all looking and no wallet. And this is really embarrassing because we've gone through this process of asking the guy to turn his pockets out. Mm. And um, I was wearing uh, my riding pants, uh, you know, the brand, I think, Klim, which have also got, um, you know, those riding, bike riding pants. They've also got vents in them. And if you open the vents up, obviously, for the hot air, so in the – in the rush of it all and the, the, the stress of it all, I had missed my pocket and put my wallet in my vent. Oh, and no. and the wallet slipped down, not past my knees, but right down to my ankles into my boots, and I wasn't aware. Oh. <laughs> so I, I'd, I'd patted myself down so many times, and, you know, David had checked too, but I hadn't gone down as far as my boots, and there's my wallet sitting in my top part of my boot, and oh. I was so embarrassed. <laughs> What did you do? Well, the guy rang up the police and told them they can turn around and the receptionist went off and Oscar went back to his building site and I said, let's just go. Let's just leave as quickly as we possibly can. So I grabbed a fistful of dollars and went over and stuck them in Oscar's hands and said, look, I'm so, so, so embarrassed by this. And he said, I don't want any money. (laughs) And I left it in and I said, buy yourself a beer. And I left it and we just. High-tailed out of there as quickly as we can with that tail between our legs. Uh, it was so embarrassing.
0: <laughs> oh, that's just horrible, isn't it? You can certainly see how that can happen. Wow, and and jeez, uh, uh, I'm pleased you're telling that story. That this—it's great to hear, and because I'm sure it takes a lot to tell it.
1: We, um as travelers, you always go through the stress of where would you put your passport or where have you put something because or your keys, it happened similar sort of thing, and you always get stressed by these uncertainties, and that happened a few times in the trip, but after a while we sort of settled down with it. I think we've all gone through that. So, Jim, after we left that um, uh, GUR camp, and these GURs are lined up, they're little round tents, they're very comfortable, they're lined up just like a a, a military barracks. So the three of us headed off, Into the further into the desert, and um, uh, I was riding my 800. David was riding an 800 Triumph, and Tony was riding a 400 Suzuki, and he had an accident. He had what we call whiskey – well, I saw it as whiskey throttle, uh, where you – I'm not sure if you're familiar with that term. Yeah. It's where you throttle on, throttle off, throttle on, and he lost the bike, and the foot peg landed on his foot and broke his foot. Oh. And uh, we're in the middle of the desert, and he had an inreach. I've I travelled with an inreach, and I've heard your story about inreach and how good they are. But for whatever reason, we never activated it. So he left his boot on, and we had to ride three or four hours to the next town, which was a very very small town. And there was a, uh, a you could call it a B and I guess, this very small house, a yurt, and they had a room. And he got to the room and he took his boot off. This is about four hours later. He was in considerable pain. And his foot was blue. It just got, got up so bad um, it had blown up so much. He didn't have any – they didn't have any ice. They didn't have a container to put ice in. This is the type of village it was. So I did the right thing. I went down to the local shop and bought a couple of litres of beer. And um, that helped take some of the pain away. And. I threw the bottle outside, the big plastic bottle, and at 12 o'clock at night there's a knock on the door and I thought this was rather strange. And they came in and they'd taken the bottle and frozen it and that's all the containers they had to freeze. So they uh. gave him some ice and um, uh, so that helped his foot a little bit. The next morning um, they found the English teacher, the, the, a teacher that could speak some English. She came and she organized a mini truck. And they put his bike on the mini truck and him in the truck. And David and I followed the truck to the next town, um, Avogadir it was. And um, we got in, that was probably seven hours or so on the road. And we got to this small hotel. And I rang up um, uh, this place we stayed in in Ulaanbaatar called Oasis or Oasis. And I spoke to the receptionist there and she organized transport from um, Avogadir to Ulaanbaatar for him the next day. So he was suffering quite a bit with his broken foot and it took that long to get him back to the city so he could get uh, some medical help.
0: You said that you, you had an in but you didn't activate it. You mean you actually had it with you, but it wasn't activated? Both, both of us did. You both had an in-reach, but neither one was activated.
1: Yeah, correct. I plotted the entire journey, uh, I could send you a photograph of the entire journey plotted by the inReach. So we used it, I used it every day, it was on constantly. And our kids and our and grandma from back here would would get on it and would text messages through it and all those sort of things. So, oh, yeah, okay, we sorry,
0: I'm misunderstanding here. So when you're saying you didn't activate it, you mean that you didn't send set off an SOS to, to call for help. Oh. You had it working.
1: Yes, correct, yes. Yeah, so okay, I get it. it. Activating it for the no, we didn't. Help. We didn't send off an SOS because we. I asked Tony about this just recently, and he said, "Well, we didn't think it was serious enough." Mm-hmm. I said, "They, according to some of the stories uh, through Adventure Rider Radio, people activate it for for a flat tire." Yeah, but here That's- we are in Mongolia with a broken foot in the middle of nowhere and we didn't think to activate it you so. think
0: it's not serious enough you know it's funny i think the same way i mean for me i wouldn't activate it for a flat tire and i probably wouldn't for the broken foot either and probably the way you guys handled it anyway it was probably the faster route because you would have probably sat there for a long time i mean i don't, I don't know what kind of support they will have for for that country
1: no yeah, and yeah. I, I guess we can um we can solve the problem there's you know it's there's solutions out there and we just came across them and it was as fast as we could we could um, it could unfold anyway. Mm-hmm. But the communication as you're saying we booked into this hotel and Mr we said we're staying one night but when we rang up Ulan and we spoke to the lady from um, Oasis she said oh by the way they don't even know they don't know how long you're staying in the hotel. So that's how basic the miscommunication is or the lack of communication. Oh yeah. So so Tony uh, Tony, um, we spent the night in uh, this hotel and the next day they got um, a little coaster bus or a little little Toyota bus and they put his bike in the back and they headed off to the capital city and Tony had his leg propped up and they used – there was a bus. They actually stopped and picked up paying passengers along the way. <laughs> so, so his journey to Ulaanbaatar was quite slow. Um, David and I headed off, and we had a the, um, the time schedule to meet up with Lenore in a week or two week or so's time. So we were heading north. Um, Tony got back to Ulaanbaatar and his story unfolded that he got medical help there, and um, his ride was over. And rather than go back to Australia because he didn't want to go back, he he um, is. Uh, Croatian as well, so he ended up flying to Croatia and spending the rest of the time in Croatia and just followed us on um, on uh, social media. Um, so he stayed there until August or something, and David and I continued on and um, had some glorious rides through the top part of Mongolia and f- finally caught up with Lenore. <laughs> um, the communication with Lenore was there was a couple of phone calls that she made, but basically we didn't. Hear from her very much, or I didn't hear from her very much.
2: Very hard to find internet or have a SIM card that was the right one to make the call, and then the timing in the location where you might have the internet. So,
0: (laughs) so Lenore, you're phoning Kim's cell phone.
2: Yes, although I had to use the um, driver's phone because I didn't have the right SIM card for that area, and so they were very generous. Suggesting I give a ring every now and then mm. to see. Well, I was a bit concerned how they were going because they're in um, much more we're in the desert. Yeah, <laughs> much more extreme situation than I was.
0: Yeah, but you're off on a horse in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, I had
1: that in my mind,
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I had support, and
1: yeah. um, you know they knew what they were doing. So, so, so every every country we came to, the first thing we would do is buy SIM cards and change money. So we always had a local SIM card um, just for messaging, mainly messaging each other or social media, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Right. So we headed north and uh, Tesseleg and other things, and the country became becomes really green and beautiful from coming out of the desert. So that was probably the most glorious rides in Mongolia that we had heading north. And Lenore's message was, I'll go down, head out of this town – Called moron. No, hut gal, and go as far as you can, and then go down this track, and we'll see you there. Oh, yeah, you're <laughs> you're <Yeah, yeah>, right. <laughs> <laughs> and it worked. It worked. <laughs> it did work. because oh. <laughs> the road stopped, and they waited. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the track stopped. Yeah. yeah, so that's how we sort of met in the middle of nowhere, you know.
0: So when Lenora and you meet back up, then who's all with you? Who's traveling together at that point?
1: The three of us Lenora on the back of my bike and David and David became our traveling partner for three and a half months He was great to travel with it was just nice to reach some cheer rooms together and what you same size back? bike yep same riding style yeah so we had some good adventures together
0: where do you go from here
1: we finished Mongolia we went into banal which is back into Russia and then from Russia we went down into Kazakhstan. And we cross Kazakhstan and the first major city is a place called Semi I think it's something like semi plantazic or something, where they let off four hundred and something nuclear bombs as a Russians. test hmm? the Russians. The Russians did. Between uh, they finished in from eighteen from nineteen forty nine to nineteen eighty nine, they let off four hundred and something bombs. Wow. So we we pull up in in a car park and outside of a restaurant and this guy comes out to get SIM cards and to get money changed and this guy comes out and says, would you like to come into my restaurant and have a feed and something to drink? And just before we went inside to his restaurant, so he was just being hospitable, um, a guy pulls up on a motorbike with somebody on the back and, and in Russian asks us if we want to come to a party. We couldn't understand and we asked um, this restaurateur to give us a hand and he said, oh, it's a party somewhere for these bikers. So we go into this guy's restaurant and he feeds us. He makes beautiful salad and coffees and um, milkshakes and things and he goes and gets SIM cards for us and he then offers to take us to our hotel that we'd booked. So he does all this for us just to be hospitable and we get to this little hotel, and this guy on the bike turns up. <laughs> and um, he said, we want you to come to a biker's party. We go, mm, really? We're a bit rushed. I've got to get to Almaty because I'm getting my bike serviced and the pannier and stuff. And he said, no, no, come to the come to the party. It's on us. So we go. He collects us the next day, and we go to this um, uh, Russian-style hotel. It was pretty much abandoned or empty, wasn't it? It looked like that. <laughs> they like <laughs> anyway, there was a three day biker's party where people travel from all over from back from Russia from Banal to this this location and they have a, a party. So we were their guests. And um We came by some people who speak English there. We we stayed there for three days.
0: You stayed at so this was, abandoned hotel partying for three days.
1: Yeah, yeah, we did. <laughs> <laughs> so they gave us um a suite, if you could call it a suite, uh, with two rooms and David was in one and we were in the other. And one time about 10 o'clock in the morning, I walked down the corridor and I look into the bedroom and there's David lying fully clothed, sound asleep on the bed. And I said, what happened to you? And he said, well, I got in the lift with these big burlesque type bike biking blokes and they said, come to our room. So I went to the room with them and we drank vodka. I said, but it's, it's now 11 o'clock in the morning and you're drunk asleep on the bed. He said, well, I couldn't say no. <laughs> so, so this was the theme of the party for three days. Um, and they played games that on motorbikes that were quite different from what we would do. They had um, uh, like a simple thing where they're um, – five or six bikes would line up and they would rev the bikes as loud as they could and hard as they could. Um, another one was they in would have as, they can. as slow as they can, they'd ride in circles as slow as they can. Um, one day was that um, bite the apple on the string. So the pillion passenger was who was usually bare-breasted would ride under a, a pole with a hanging apple on it and they should try and stand up and bite the apple Another one was they'd have a wet bike washing competition, like a wet T-shirt competition. Another one, they took their clothes off and laid them as far as they could. <laughs> this is the ladies. So it was quite interesting. <laughs> quite different. Really different. It was so, very, very different.
0: <laughs> so, but, it, I mean, it sounds like it's all all sort of in good fun. I mean, aside from, you
1: know. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it was. It was really in good fun. There were bands. I think there was a half a dozen bands playing in the back of a container the next day. Yeah, yeah. So over the weekend and the beer and vodka on tap and quite a lot of people turned up. So okay. it was all in, It was all good fun. It was, it
2: was Russian and um, a few different nationalities there. Too. Yep. Mm.
1: Yeah, so we got caught up with, with this for a few days and um, when it was time to go they escorted us to the edge of town. There was a, half a dozen bikers or so. They all rode to the edge of town and Stopped and shook hands and got photographs and things and waved goodbye. So it was quite a good experience.
0: <laughs> so what's next?
1: Um, we collected the pannier and all that in Almaty. Um, David was waiting apart for his bike, so he stayed on in Almaty. We caught up with Brett and Yvonne in Almaty, which is a lovely cosmopolitan city, probably the nicest modern city we came across in the whole journey, wasn't it, mm. pretty much? Um It's really a gateway to all those countries, if if you wish. Um, And then Lenore and I headed off into Kyrgyzstan by ourselves, and we went to Karakol Lake, which is pretty amazing. It's sort of you could compare the whole that whole country to like Switzerland in some ways, couldn't you? How pretty it is, and green, and lush, and animals, and um, uh, so that was pretty nice. And we went to a famous lake that people know as Lake Songkul and stayed up there for a bit and then headed to Osh and caught up with David and then went across into Tajikistan. Um, as we crossed the border into Tajikistan, there was this Spanish backpacker who had been dropped off there by taxi and he was in no man's land because the border between Tajikistan and Kyrgyzstan is like a couple of kilometres of no man's land. And so he'd left Kyrgyzstan and he couldn't get into Tajikistan because he couldn't get down to the border crossing. So David picked up a hitchhiker. And so we got this guy on the back of his David's bike and loaded all his gear on our our bikes and off we headed. And it wasn't long before heading into Tajikistan, we crossed the pass, which was four and a half thousand meters or so. So we're a bit starved of air. And we crossed. Past no, that was after the river, and we crossed and we got to the to border, and we had to go through the protocols of being scammed, I guess. So it was this um, uh, mishmash of small burnt down buildings with a bed in half the room and a desk, a desk about a metre long if you're lucky. And this guy saying, "Well, this fee is is eight US dollars," and then he'd take us to the next guy, and this fee is for eight dollars, and this fee environmental fee is for seven dollars. And we knew it was all um, money for their own pockets, but it was such small amounts, and uh, without altitude sickness, it didn't really matter. You, you um, mean these, spoken- these are
0: officials, though, that are doing it?
1: Yes. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. What I'd call them official, but <laughs> they were military. Military. Yeah. Oh, I see. So they were small bribes, but uh, we'd spoken to a few other people that had came through afterwards, and they just pointly refused to pay any of these bribes. And they spent a couple of hours there, whereas we go, well, somebody's got to live it. Does it really matter? So after after about half an hour, an hour of wrangling and, and going from place to place, we headed off, and we came across. Uh, So we have China on one side now and we're into Jakustan and we came across a river where a truck has broken the bridge and has collapsed into the river and has made it impossible for us to get past. And uh, this is in the afternoon now and as the longer we stayed there, the higher the water got because of the snow melt. Um, Just further down into the river was another vehicle that had tried to cross when we were there and they got stuck. Um, so it took us an hour or so to try and work our way to get across the river and um, I found a crossing point and I took my panniers off and I pushed my bike across with the help of these guys and uh, David got across and um, that slowed us down a bit and we ended up staying in a small B&B in some lake somewhere high, about 3,900 metres up, which is a bit hard for altitude, but um, yeah, it worked out okay. It was a pretty spot.
0: Did you get altitude sickness at one point?
2: Um, mm. close to, it. Close to <clears throat> it. We did have tablets, so uh, yeah. they
1: were vital. Actually, the toilet it was, was a tough guy. Pretty important that night. <laughs> so, the whole thing, yeah. So <clears throat> we went the next day um, further into Kazakhstan, to, to Jakistan, and then down day after into the Wakam Valley, which is just amazing. And we ended up in a. Um, you know, there's nice hot springs and we stayed there and then we went on to Karag. and then I saw this motorbike in the street that was a little 310 BMW and I put on Facebook, oh, does anybody know whose bike? This is And it was Amy's. So Amy had <sighs> ridden from Golia and turned up there and by chance we were there at the same time.
0: So, so Amy's we- the one that, she came with you, she shipped over in the same container, but she left immediately and you haven't seen her since the start of all this. That. That's
1: right. Yep. We so, haven't seen her. So oh, how far into we, the
0: trip are you at this point? where you, you two. Like, it's two-thirds
2: of the way through. We did meet her in Russia for one night.
1: For um, one meal, yeah. one meal. In, in 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 Bernal, just before we, before we, we entered get together. The semi-party. Yeah. Hmm. So we're in Kurok and we're having morning tea on the side of the road, just the two of us, and Amy rides past. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And so we ended up in, we had a, it's a beautiful ride, that valley from Karog towards the capital, um, like 10 hours of twisties through this river valley, just absolutely gorgeous. And we went down the Bartang Valley a little bit and we ended up in this place called Karakon. And the next day we rode with Amy. The only time we rode with Amy, we went across the road split to the capital. So we went off to the pass and we crossed the pass with, with Amy and ended up in the capital, Dushanbe. And, yeah, it was fine. It was a big day. And next day I wanted to go to a, a bike mechanic. And I go out in the street and there's police everywhere. And I went into the bike shop and he said, and there's police on the, on the TV and news. And I said, what happened? And he said, there was um, a terrorist attack. And On the road we didn't take. Yeah. Captain. So on the road we didn't take, there was a terrorist attack. And we said, well, what happened? And he said, um, these uh, four guys in a four-wheel drive plowed into a bunch of cyclists and killed them. Um, two Americans, one Swiss, and I don't know the other nationality. It's on Wikipedia. Um, they plowed into them and um, crashed into them, got out of the car and stabbed them. I thought this is pretty extreme, and um, the police went after them and shot all of them except one, and I put him in prison, I think. And they were supposed to be Syrian terrorists or a terrorist group, but
2: uh, it's very hard to find out what was really going on
1: because you can't understand the news or. But it's on Wikipedia or you Google, which was on about the twenty. 20- 6th of July 2018, around that time. So these guys just ploughed into a group of cyclists and murdered them.
0: Just horrible, horrible. I, and I, actually, I, I think I did hear about this because I, I know someone who is related to one of the guides that was on that trip. And, um, yeah, that that is just horrible, man.
1: Yeah, it is. And Brett and Yvonne, who we caught up with in Dushanbe, actually went on that road that day or the day before, but mm-hmm. about the same time too. So it's just – wrong place, wrong time sort of thing, isn't it?
3: Yeah, yeah.
0: Well.
2: I think Amy had Amy had met them and chatted to them prior to that on some of her travels too along the way. It was very sad.
0: It was a guided ca- bicycle tour, wasn't it?
1: Yes. Yeah, we came across that. these guys. We didn't meet, the, meet those people, but we came across this guided bicycle tour that started in, I think, in, in uh, China, in Shanghai, and rode all the way to Istanbul, and now and again would come across them and um, stop and talk to them. or We stopped and talked to a lot of cyclists who are quite mad to cycle up these mountains. It's tough going. Yeah, so we'd stop and have a chat to them while they were resting on the side of the road. Um, But this group was, I wouldn't even be surprised if it was a Canadian-run organisation, but I can't be sure on that. Um, We'd stop and talk to them, and there's like one incident. um, We stopped, and there was a Swiss guy, and he said, I've got a pair of gloves could you give it to Simon or Peter or whatever on this group? So two or three yeah. hours' time or a couple of days' time, we saw this bus and we stopped and we said, oh, is this guy Simon? And they said, yeah, I've got some gloves for him. He said, oh, fantastic. And he was over the moon. So there was this sort of com- camaraderie and, you know, that sort of meeting these people along the way. So we kind of can understand that situation.
0: You go where after this?
1: Um, We go into Uzbekistan, and we did, and that's the first tourist we came across in Samarkand, which is all those wonderful mosaic buildings, and then Bukhara, and then Kiva, and then across the desert and around the Caspian Sea. Uh, We ran out of petrol. Um, They have... The petrol stations are different in Uzbekistan. They have a lot of gas reserves. So they're gas, gas as in LPG type gas. And so there are a lot of gas stations and they're sort of got different sort of pumps and divided by walls. And their petrol stations, they're, um, are tucked away a little bit. So we left Bakar and I was, my bike had a, has a camel tank. So we have a bit more fuel, but I didn't fill up before I left, and um, the fuel is 80 octane, so it's pretty low, and we're traveling along, and I said, oh, Lenore, we're in the middle of the desert, and it's starting to get pretty low. Uh, I believe I can get 80 k's on a um, on a reserve. Well, I found out I can't. <laughs> <laughs> so we were riding along, and we saw this gas station, and we thought perhaps they're selling petrol. So they had these bollards, these cement um bollards in the middle of the road. So we travelled up about 5 k's and crossed the road and came back again and um, rode into this service station and they said, no, we don't sell fuel, it's down the road. And we couldn't understand how far down the road, so we had to go backtrack again and we're heading down the road and the bike hits reserve. And
2: this after, is real
1: desert. This is real desert, <laughs> but on a bitchman road. And after a while, the bike just comes to a halt. So we get off the bike and we push it hundred metres or so, and um, and we stop. And opposite us there was a bus, the bollards in between. Bollards. There was a bus running. parking area, and there was a bunch of there was a bus load of Italian yeah. tourists, and they all jump the fence and they come rushing over with water, and they're all you know, right, quite concerned. But the bus driver comes right across to us, and he said, "I'll um." uh what's the problem we said oh we run out of petrol and so he he went with lenore and to this abandoned service station and the guy there had a couple of jerry cans of petrol so got he got us the petrol and we sort of basically got on our way so the very kind man so you mean the bus like
0: the bus driver took the bus and lenore to to a gas station
2: no just walking
1: just walking
2: Came over and so if you're going to run out of fuel. Run out this. of the service station next to
0: the service station. <laughs> well, you you yes. said you hit reserve. I mean, you reserve on an F800. That's only what it's blinking at you. I think, and I think you have, is it four liters? I think four liters. You, you've got a sixteen liter tank. I think you got four liters on reserve without your Camel tank. So with two up, yeah, you're not going very far.
1: Well, I tried it in Australia, and we got eighty kilometers, but with eighty octane, we didn't get eighty. Uh, we didn't get eighty kilometers. Mm,
3: right.
1: The last
2: 20 kilometers was a weighty game because <laughs> I feel a bit sick in the stomach
1: wondering now there's nothing here. Every what time we, we crossed a, um, a hill, you look, scan the distance, and there will be nothing in the distance. It's just <laughs> nothing up there. <laughs> so, we, Uzbekistan, apart from the tourists, I mean, the buildings are beautiful the old fortresses and the minarets and stuff are beautiful. They're really worth seeing, but it's desert. And we headed off, and it was 45 degrees. It was just roasting on the bike. Are you guys wearing all
0: your gear at 45 degrees?
1: We wore our gear all the time. Yeah, Yeah. always. Um, And we headed off even at 6:30 in the morning. It's like 40 degrees, and and the road it was the same as in Kazakhstan. Um, We got back into Kazakhstan, but the Kazakhstan road from Semi down to Almaty is just chopped to pieces like you can't believe. The the roads are littered with with dead cars, with broken axles, with tires. The vehicles veer all over the road and then most of them travel at like five Ks an hour. Trucks travel at that and they weave in and out. I was going a bit faster because the footprint's quite small on a bike. And um, I thought I'd get some gas just before I cross the border into Kazakhstan. And so I pull up there and filling up a little bit of gas and, you know, out of a jerry can or something. And um, the service station attendant notices my rim's buckled beyond belief. And I must have, well, I did. I hit some of these shoulders and severely dented my rim severely. Uh, Brett and Yvonne, we traveled through the desert together um, for security reasons. And he pulls up, he says, Oh, I'll, um, I'll hit it with this uh, makeshift hammer and, and fix it. So he takes this almighty swing and hits my disc brake. Oh. <laughs> so he misses the wheel completely. <laughs> oh, that's probably enough there, Brett. <laughs> um, so we pass into back into Russia and we go to – Astrakhan or something, in one of these cities, and I went to a bike shop, the only bike shop, and they couldn't fix it. And Then they took me to a wheel specialist, and they heated the, the rim up, and they couldn't fix it. So um, I, we continued on. I got on the internet, and the only rim I could find was one out of Germany, out of Tiratek, and I got them to send it through to Georgia because that's where we were heading, Tbilisi, uh, Tbilisi Georgia, the capital. So – we traveled through Russia and back into Georgia. Um, Georgia's a lovely country, quite easy to get around in and beautiful scenery. And we there's a lovely bike shop there. And going through the rigmarole of importation and passports and taxes and things, I got a new rim and got the other one laced. I got the new one laced and put back on the bike. So
3: mm.
1: that was probably the only damage that I incurred on the bike apart from the lost pannier and that worked out well because it got us there in the end um and the rim was so buckled that when i took it off the bike i tried to roll it and it wouldn't roll it would just fall over because it was so (laughs) twisted
0: well the f800s are known for that soft rim the soft front front rim it's it is a bit of an issue some people like to replace that ahead of time but uh from what i've been told though it's it's to do with safety uh, i don't know how true this is but it's to do with safety so if you had a collision it, it just like a car uses the sheet metal to absorb the impact that's supposedly what this rim will do and I, I don't know how much truth there is to that because they definitely are soft
1: yeah they that's are and, yeah you see the forums that most people replace them um yeah, but I think I'd be I'd be softer than the rim, so <laughs> <in a> collision. <laughs> well, so we, we were rode,
2: driving more slowly, though.
1: Yeah, we didn't have any offs in the whole journey. Um, uh, so and we did. I, I like to drive fast, and I was very wary of the Russian roads, particularly and the Russian drivers. That was probably one of my biggest concerns before we left home. But I actually loved it. It was like a PlayStation game. You could just hoot along the highway and cars would be coming towards you, but everybody would sort of open up and you'd sque- squeeze through and trucks would pass you as you are passing a truck. So it wasn't a matter of going slow, but just carefully, I guess. Mm. Yeah, so, so there wasn't the rim, I mean. no offs at all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so we toured up through the mountains of out from Tbilisi and up into Georgia and lots of glaciers and things. That was pretty nice. And then entered into Turkey and did some of the tourist things. That's the first real tourist that we met more than Uzbekistan. Um, rode through Turkey and then finished in Bulgaria and left the bikes in the motor camp in Bulgaria, which is a lovely end destination. And so we did 26,000 kilometers and it took us pretty close to six months.
0: Wow. That's a – that's a great adventure. Now, now uh, over over all the places that you've been in that six months, what was the most impressive to you? What was a place that you just dying to go back to?
2: I think I probably the three: <laughs> um, Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan, and Georgia. I think would was standing out for me, especially Kyrgyzstan. Yeah, absolutely stunning. There's country people. Um, easy, um, open, safe, and,
1: um, yeah, just not enough time. There's so much to do. Um, The people were different as we traveled. The Russians are very similar to us with their um, their humor and um, their use of media, you know, they're on the phone and they know Google and all that stuff. Um, So they're really fun people, and I'd certainly like to see a lot more of Russia. And when Mongolians are different again and when you get into the Stans and further down, they become a little bit more Indian and uh, Chinese. Um, To Jakustan, they're probably the thinnest but probably the most impoverished, beautifully dressed. um, It's sort of more Indian style, isn't it? Hmm. Stunning, stunning scenery. All through there. Yeah, you through. can't believe the height of the mountains. I mean, one of the uh, rides we went on out of uh, Kyrgyzstan in the background, the s- mountains were 7,500 metres, so we're talking serious serious mm-hmm. size there. Yeah. And you don't go very far in one day.
2: You travel all day, but you don't get very far, do you, because it's no.
1: slow? And most of the roads that we travelled on would have been, a lot of the roads, not most, a lot of the roads were were gravel roads. Um. So the, the distance is, is not a lot. They're um, quite exhausted at the end of the ride most days, particularly two up. You sort of get pounded into the seat. So to, to do it again, Jim, I think the thing that I'd like the most is someone that can speak the language. I think that's the thing that you miss out on the most, isn't it? Really mm-hmm. not being able to communicate. think a translator um, would be good.
0: And Google Translate or anything like that, that, that wasn't adequate?
2: Russia was very good,
1: but everywhere else not at all. Mm. Mm. To, to use like, to to use Google and to look at a, um, a menu just didn't work at all. It could say sheep, cow, pig, fish um, <laughs> because of the Sometimes fonts. It, it
2: didn't work very much. Mm. Sometimes you'd have conversations with people on Google, <laughs> translate, which did that work too. What do you mean like holding
0: the phone up and then, they, then, you, then you hold the phone and that sort of thing?
2: Yes, or mm-hmm. type it in if that didn't work and
1: translate it.
0: Right.
1: Yeah. I, did, um, I did introduce a little bit of language into one of the service stations. I was in Kazakhstan and sitting in, sitting on my bike after I'd filled up with fuel and parked next to the, the shop or, you know, where you pay. Mm-hmm. I'm parked there. I'm playing on my phone. And the next moment this guy backs into me and knocks me off my bike. <laughs> and here I am just sitting, you know, minding my own business and he knocks me over and i jump up and i go what the (laughs) fuck and he did no one understood so i came rushing up to his vehicle window window smashing you know hitting my fist on the glass you know just knowing that there would not understand me so i kept going wtf 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 (laughs) i open his door and he's sort of a full guy, a nicely dressed guy. You know, he's got – it was a nice car, it was a new Prado and stuff, so nicely dressed guy, and I'll keep going, WTM, WTM. <laughs> and the older service station attendants come running over and they lift my bike up and, you know, put it on the stand and I'm still carrying on like this and they start mimicking me. <laughs> because <laughs> Obviously, it was an expression that, that's um, – was going it's to a catch on. you
0: you're not saying WTF you're saying the whole thing
1: I'm yeah. saying the whole thing so Lenore <laughs> comes comes out of the, she doesn't know what's happening so she comes out of the shop and these guys are just carrying on, and she starts yelling at them because <laughs> they're, they're making so much noise. And they run off; they scamper off, going WTF, WTF. Laughing, they're laughing, <laughs> like laughing, swearing away. So, <laughs> so I've, introduced, <laughs> I've introduced a new set of words. I've introduced new phrase in Kazakhstan, oh, I I'm sure you've too. helped
0: expand their culture. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what, what did the guy do? Hit you? Was he apologetic?
1: Oh, yeah, he absolutely. was he was a man in a suit, you know. He was very apologetic. Oh, and um, Kim was a bit too fiery. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was a surprise. Yeah, um, he yeah no, he too was apologetic, on. but I think there was probably more scratches on his brand-new Prado than there was on my bike. So mm. um, it was probably more the shock than anything else. <laughs> <laughs> mm.
0: You guys, you mentioned you parked your bikes at, uh, at the motor camp in Bulgaria. Now, that was to continue the ride
1: we would be just coming back from Bulgaria today or yesterday. Um, So we had a trip booked to go to the MotoGP in Italy, uh, Magello, which um, before the pandemic, and then we're going to go fly across to Bulgaria and do Croatia and Romania and Montenegro and all of that this year, and that's shelved. (laughs) That's shelved the bikes parked still.
0: What's the plan now?
1: Uh, we're four-wheel driving. We're going. We're visiting places in South Australia. Oh, right?
0: um,
1: the, the COVID thing in South Australia is quite minimal. Um, I think there's only like ten cases for the whole state. Um, but you're thinking of selling the bike, maybe now? It
2: in, might be a couple of years. Yeah, we don't North Australia,
1: if, I think if we can even go overseas for a few years, I think we're all in the same boat, aren't we? Yeah, I think so. Sure. I mean,
0: it's a, it's a tough one, isn't it? So you're thinking maybe just sell it to, to a local.
1: Um, it's registered in South Australia, maybe that or, yeah, I'm not, not sure, or just asking prices to get it shipped back to uh, Australia. Um, I've got other bikes here. I'm riding a 1250 here, um, so it's not like I'm, you know, it's my only bike. David shipped his back from – he left us in just the day before we caught up with Amy in carog He left us and traveled home by himself and it cost him two and a half thousand dollars to ship his bike home. Yeah, yeah. So in some ways just discount the bike and sell it perhaps, but right. it's there. It's costing us 10 euros a month for storage. So it's not, it's not, you know, a huge amount.
0: Yeah. So what, what did you guys learn on this adventure that you, you didn't know before?
2: What do we learn? <laughs> <laughs> um, to take every day as it comes and just enjoy it. For me, anyway, I think um, I enjoyed not knowing what lay ahead and embracing it as we got there. Mm. And I think probably realizing that people are the same all over the world, really. Um, they all look after each other. You know, the community is strong to look after each other and family are Important to everybody, not just ourselves, but everywhere in the world. Everyone's family is really what comes first. I think. Oh, that's that's, good to share.
0: yeah. I mean, I can see it. You, you, yeah. you, guys. It sounds like you've ran into so many people who were just so nice to you, and for no gain to themselves. I mean, to take you back to their their family, and they're not gaining anything from that. They're just showing hospitality. You're a foreigner. Yeah. You don't speak their language. Um, it really says that's very something.
3: Kind. Hmm. Yeah.
1: That's true. <laughs> yeah, it was. it's it, it's interesting that um, there's barely a week that goes past where you don't reflect on back on the trip, so it was quite monumental. I mean, we've done a lot of travelling um, together and by ourselves over the years, but this was kind of very special, and you sort of just take it as it comes, really. Every day will be an adventure, irrespective of where you are, and it just will unfold. I'd like to do it again. <laughs>
0: will you do it again? I mean, if you can?
1: Um, we talked of everybody we spoke to along the journey, every other motorcyclist said Iran is one of the nicest places to go to, and that was on our list. So apart from the shorter trip that we were going to do on this this journey, the one that's just been cancelled, we were talking about going from Iran into Pakistan and maybe down into India. Um, but that's all up in the air at the moment, so we'll see. So, yeah, I think we will. Um just seize the moment, sort of just embrace it all. Hmm.
0: Well, you seize. guys, great story. Thank you very much for telling it. I really enjoyed having you guys on the show. Thank you.
1: Yeah, it's been nice talking you to you, Jim. I look forward to listening to your podcasts, and like I said, I certainly appreciate them. Uh, you cover a lot of cross-sections there from, from Billy Ward and from – a Borman, and then some technical stuff on lights and tyres and things, uh, you've got a good mix and it's got a good program. So thanks very much for bringing that to the rider community. Yeah, Thank you. Thank you.
0: I've been speaking with Kim and Lenore Osborne from their home in Australia. Well, we've got a bunch of photos from their adventure in the show notes for this episode, as we do for all of our episodes that we do here. Drop by our website, adventureriderradio.com and have a look at the show notes. Or you can use the search field to search for any topic or keyword from any of our episodes. that about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it thank you very much to our producer Elizabeth Martin who works in the background and you never hear her voice on here and of course thank you for being a listener and being a part of this show if you have an idea for the show send it to us drop by our website adventure there's links on there for contacting us if you have a story to pitch if you know somebody with a story to pitch we would love to hear it and we're particularly interested in stories that haven't been heard before stories that have a twist stories that um stand out to you for some reason that have some sort of unique angle we'd love to hear it Adventureriderradio.com is a website and we need your support we are built on a model of advertising and listener support we depend on listener support we need listener support anything ten dollars or more gets you stickers sent back at you for your pannier your toolbox whatever anything fifty dollars or more gets you a mention on our raw show drop by our website and look what we have to offer adventurerideradio.com click on support my name is jim martin thank you very much for listening i will talk to you next week
2: I'm Carol Duvall and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio.